Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert! We're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised, press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. What did we watch? We just watched Nancy Drew dot 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 detective, a 1938 mystery comedy starring Benita Granville and Frankie Thomas. This was the first of the series of four Nancy Drew movies that they made back in the 30s, but this is the third that we've watched and covered. We have, we have not been very organized about the order uh, in which we've watched these films. Yeah, I like to call this the Ellipses series because it's all Nancy Drew dot 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 noun. <laughs> Nancy Drew dot 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 vague occupation. And this one, of course, is Nancy Drew dot 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 detective. The classic. I don't know what the other ones, uh, like the fourth in the trifecta. What if it's something really random like Nancy Drew dot 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 firefighter? If only there was a way we could find out that information. Oh, you and your snark. You're as, 
You're as snarky as Ted Nickerson, uh, Nancy Swain in this movie, who is some reason uh, renamed Ted instead of Ned from the books. Of course, that doesn't bother you in the slightest. No, I don't. I don't complain about little details being changed for no reason, like the fact that they named the maid in this Effie instead of Hannah Gruen. I'm not one to complain about such minor things, you know. You, you don't get hung up on little details no. like that. You're not a purist. No, I don't. You, you spit on purists. No, I'm, I'm a casual Nancy consumer, and I'm I'm all about welcoming new interpretations. I'm all right. Uh, so this is uh, this is interesting because it gives us a jumping off point from what. Uh, the uh, series kind of went on to become, and we kind of see some of the uh, early glimpses of elements that went on to set the tone for this series. Um, But the central mystery here is an older lady who went to Nancy's all-girls private school is going to leave a big donation, but then before she does that, she disappears. So this is like the ultimate college administrator's nightmare. You have a big fundraiser planned. You're going to get all the money you need to do what you need to do at the school. And then, boom, person vanishes. She is going to give, this donation she's going to give is $250,000. That's a lot of smackers back in 1938. Yes, that is $4.5 million in modern money. Holy shit. So what what could they do? What could a private school do with four point five million dollars? What scholarships? Mm, scholarships, uh, uh, and, and maybe add, adding more teachers to the staff. Maybe uh, improve pay for those teachers. Maybe provide uh, medical insurance for some of the employees of the school. Fund state of the art, uh, a state of the art science building to uh, get this new generation of young female students interested in uh, the sciences. <laughs> That's rich. Actually, what they're going to do is use that money to build a swimming pool. A $4.5 million swimming pool. What is it? What is it? Like a movie studio swimming pool where they're going to like reenact like old battle like with ships? I mean, like how expensive could a friggin' swimming pool in, in 1938 possibly be? And also, Apparently $4.5 million. <laughs> Um, I mean, as a former competitive swimmer, <laughs> I, I, I don't understand it. I don't understand it at all. But I, I was thinking about it, and, and Nancy seems pretty gung-ho about the swimming pool idea. And she would definitely, if she was going to be a swimmer, she would definitely swim the individual medley. And if anybody listening has ever swam competitively, you know what I mean right now. Because she's good at everything. She's a perfectionist. She's doing all the strokes perfectly. She's getting it all done. But if I had to pick one of the four competitive swim strokes about which Nancy definitely did the best, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say she's a butterflyer. She does the butterfly because she's a crazy motherfucker. And that's what I associate with people who do the butterfly because that stroke is really hard. And I don't know how they get through the pain and exhaustion of moving their bodies in that way. But anyway, that was a little bit of I a got sw- nothing. It was a little bit of a <laughs> swim take, splashing in, <laughs> nice and nice and ready for some swim uh, analysis. But let's move back to the actual picture. This this picture is not Nancy Drew dot 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 swimmer. I'm just capitalizing on everybody's time to talk about something that probably very few people care about. <laughs> 
But then again, I, am, the, a, it, I am a podcaster. Yes, that's the whole premise of our program. <laughs> it's not like people are either dying to hear what two strangers think of the 1930s Nancy Drew series. <laughs> we're, we're, we're the podcast everyone needs right now to get through these troubled times. So, oddly enough, uh, right before this old woman is to sign over $250,000 to this school, she goes missing. Mm -hmm. But no one seems to care. Well, yeah, you think, okay, an old lady goes missing. The community, especially people who are, are were, you know, about to be the benefactors of her generosity, are going to be concerned. They're going to be, this woman was a leader, a pioneer. She, she, where is she? No. All these little shits at the school are like, oh, she must have been a loony bird. Who cares? I hope she dies. I hope she burns in hell. And like Nancy's like, what the fuck? And the guy's business, and then the old woman's business manager is like, ah, this is no big deal. She disappears all the time. There's nothing to see here. So Kid. long, folks. <laughs> Don't ask me about her ever again. <laughs> and even Carson Drew, Nancy's attorney father, just seems to be, yeah, let's just forget about it. Isn't there kind of an undercurrent of sexism here? They're all like, she's an old fat lady. Like, no one finds her sexually attractive. Who cares? Good riddance. Yeah, her day's done. Yeah, I didn't like this. And and it's kind of crazy because normally Nancy Drew is kind of the one who is maybe more focused on the mystery than people. I'll say it, that's putting it nicely. But in this one, she's like the only one who gives a shit about this woman she barely knows because she's just like, she's a person. She deserves, like, she deserves not to disappear and have no one care. So I really respected Nancy in this one. I thought it got off to a, maybe a better start in terms of the central mystery than some of the others because it's like, it gives you a person who's at the center. In other ones, it was kind of just like, Nancy Drew, like, figure some dumb shit out. And this one's like, no, a lady went missing. And at its core, Nancy Drew is oftentimes the series about Nancy Drew helping out the elderly. In so many of these books, she's just going in and people are scamming the elderly. People are kidnapping the elderly. People are running uh, fake nursing homes involving the elderly. People are out to get the elderly, which is actually how American society is because we, are, we live in a hellhole and the elderly are not treated with the respect they need and, and deserve um so why do you suppose nancy is so drawn to helping out the elderly i think i think the books i think having the books often focus on her helping out the elderly provides a great opportunity because on the one hand be, because of the nature of what you know what it means to get old you know it is kind of it, that the elderly are a frequent mark for swindlers of many kinds and that that's to this day um, and so that was certainly true in the 1930s. And so on the one hand, they're at risk. And on the other hand, they like have led these rich lives. And Nancy, you always get the sense is, you know, bit, she, she's curious about the world. She's curious about how things have been. And she often takes time to get to know these people and, and learn, okay, they're not just some frumpy old person. You know, this woman used to be an acrobat or this guy used to, you know, was a soldier who traveled the world, you know, and, and she kind of gets, it's not just about the mysteries. Maybe she's learning a bit more about the mystery of other people and, and their interesting experiences that are that are valuable and, and whatnot. Is there something about Nancy having a difficult time connecting to people of her own age? Well, listen, I mean, she has friends her own age. She's great friends with George and Bess, so I don't want to... Uh, they're not in this movie. We're just talking about the books now. <laughs> Those are her two chums. Um, 
she, I, I think she, I think Nancy, the, the, the creation of Nancy as a character, she's good at everything. Okay. If you throw a problem at her, Nancy's never going to be like, oh, sorry, I really don't know how to tap dance. Nancy's always going to be like, oh, yeah, here are all my tap dancing medals. And everyone's like groaning around her like, oh, like, why are you good at everything? You're just kicking all our asses constantly and we all feel worthless. I think I think she gets along with people, people her age for sure. But you could almost imagine that in real life, somebody like that would be pretty alienating to go to school with because everyone would be like, little Miss Perfect over here. Anyways, what the hell are we talking about? <laughs> I have a lot of Nancy Drew opinions, so it's just going to all come spilling out. But it's, it's weird. It, it, like Unlike a lot of the other movies in this series, and I guess there's only one other one that we haven't seen so far, Nancy does seem like legitimately downcast and worried about this lady. I, I thought that was cool. And her friends are like, well, obviously this lady never intended to give us the money. It was all a big hoax. And why we bet you even knew about it, Nancy. Just kind of a bizarre accusation to make. Yeah, I, I have a lot of questions about the quality of, of this school. If people are making kind of crazy conspiracy, you know, jumps after like with very limited information about what happened. Would you expect Nancy to go to an all girls school? Mm, that's a, You never really learn about her education. The book series at start. Well, in the original run, she was 16 and they upped her age to 18. Um, when they rewrote the books in the fifties and you never like you, you, you often, maybe you hear little glimpses about like, Oh, she didn't like this girl in school, but like, I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe y- you could sell me on it, but schooling is so of so little importance to Nancy drew as a character that it almost doesn't matter. How old do you think Nancy was in this movie? I would say here she's like supposed to be like 16 I would say here they were keeping with the 1930s version where she's 16. Yeah, she seemed pretty young. Yeah. 18-year-old Nancy would be like, what, I got locked in a cellar? It's a Tuesday? Jeez. <laughs> Why did you say she seemed young in this one? Her interactions with Ted seemed a bit youngish. Mm. And just her general way of uh, acting. She did not seem as mature as she did in the later one. She didn't really seem to be fully aware of her powers and her gifts. Right. What did you think? I agree. You know, it's just crazy. When I was, when you, so I started reading these books when I was like six or seven. And I don't know if you had this with fiction you consumed at that age. But when you're that age and you're reading about like an 18 year old or even a 16 year old, you're like, oh my God, so old. So like that, that person's halfway in the grave, basically. Mm. Isn't that weird? Yeah. And then now I'm like, oh my God, what a baby. Time. It's a funny thing. <laughs> but yeah, I remember being like, when I'm 18, I'm going to have a convertible like Nancy and drive around in my blue car and solve mysteries. Did this- that happen? No. Well, no. I did become a reporter, but I, I, thought, I thought my teenage years would be much more mystery laden when I was seven. And I figured I would have a blue convertible and... Go solve mysteries. What kind of car did you have? <laughs> I didn't have a car. <laughs> Things did not turn out as planned. How'd you uh, go around solving your mysteries? Just walking around. I just walked with a around. Yeah, I walked around with a bindle. Hobo on you. Hobo crime fighter. Yeah. I like it. There you go. <laughs> why? Why do we do this? <laughs> <laughs> this is why people hate us. Yeah, people should hate us. 
<laughs> we suck at this. We can't even tell them what happened in a fucking Nancy <laughs> Drew movie. We're just going on riffing stupid riffs. Um, okay. So Nancy breaks down the whole situation to her dad, who for some reason does not give a shit. Doesn't give a shit. He's like, basically, Nancy, this woman could die in a ditch for all I care. <laughs> Just get over it. <laughs> get over it. Human life means nothing. He gives her the cuckoo clock speech from uh, the third man then. Yeah, this Carson Drew is a bit of a sociopath, if you want to, if you ask me. I dig him. And he, I don't, okay, we, we should talk about that because I don't get what that, that whole thing is about. Maybe it's like a lawyer thing. Why do you like this Carson Drew so much? He, there's, there, he's annoying in many ways. He has creepy feelings towards Nancy. What do you mean by that? Why don't you clarify what you mean by that? Uh, in some of the other movies, the relationship between him and his daughter seems a trifle inappropriate. Mm -hmm. uh, he picks her up and throws her down on her bed. She interferes with his love life, mm -hmm. things like that. That seems a little bit inappropriate. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying this is a perfect betrayal. <laughs> No. There's certainly stuff in there that's very disturbing, very troubling, things that turn the stomach and curdle the mind. On the other hand, in a lot of old movies and such, the father is betrayed as a very emotionally distant, cold, and reserved figure. I like it that this portrayal of Carson Drew very obviously loves his daughter. He's very interested in her life, and he finds her interesting to be with and to talk to. I like that. Mm -hmm. I like that the character also, no matter what silly nonsense he has to say or do, there's like an intelligence in his eyes. This is someone who seems plausibly like he could be an attorney and even a good one. Do all attorneys uh, shine intelligence from their eyes? Is that what is that what Lynn Wood is doing on Twitter today? <laughs> no, I know what you mean, and I think you your eyes shine with intelligence too, Kevin. And you can tell that I have. They're getting brighter and brighter. <laughs> run! <laughs> you can tell what. I don't remember. I'm sorry. I I agree with you. And I'm going to say this. You know, Kevin and I have seen two other movies in this series. Nancy Drew Reporter, Nancy Drew Troubleshooter. In both of those, there were icky factors about Nancy's relationship with Carson. In this movie, it's absolutely fine. It's absolutely fine, as far as I'm concerned. There's none of that. So that was a nice welcome change in this movie. They hadn't gotten to the kind of weird ick factor that kind of makes you like, huh, like, was this written as her boyfriend first? This movie's clean. No problems there. No yeah. problems at all. Also, uh, he's very snarky in this. I like that. I like Carson being snarky. There's nothing super troubling in this movie. You can't say that about movies two or three. No, there's no uh, really racist character that's like just a caricature of a black person in the 1930s. Just... That was uh, in Nancy Drew Troubleshooter, and it was very, very hard to stomach and, and just gross. And there are some annoying kids in the movie, in this movie, but they're only in there for like a minute or two. Yeah, there's no, they're not plaguing down the whole movie. 
Um, what, they're what, not singing. They're not singing. They're certainly not singing. And there's no also racist uh, caricature of a Chinese person either. So that's um, th- this movie's pretty prob- unproblematic for a 1938 flick. I'd I'd say overall. So I was pretty impressed with all that. it had was just a, a lot of misogyny. Lots of misogyny, but folks, you know, we're used to it. Us ladies, we know we know all about that. If we're watching a 1938 movies, we're waiting for we're waiting to get clobbered with that uh, woman hating stick. So you know who who yeah, it's it's always upsetting though. And even ugh, well, I'll talk more about this later. I'll talk more about the climax later. But uh, yeah, I, I will say one thing though that I kind of missed in this. Um, in Nancy Drew Reporter, there's some moments that actually made me laugh out loud. This doesn't really have the same like bounce in its step with its humor. So, and it it also doesn't necessarily feel like it was the best. Um, in other movies, Ted and Nancy seem to have a bit more chemistry. Actually, really, Nancy Drew Reporter, Nancy Drew Troubleshooter, they seemed like they had just broken up. This one, it seems more like they it, they haven't gotten together yet, but they don't really like each other yet. So. It's interesting that the chemistry sort of changes movie to movie to a certain extent. Have you noticed that? Or is that just yeah, I have. I know you really love this couple. At least you love them in Nancy Drew Reporter. Yeah, I loved that because they like it was kind of a fun, fun kind of like she's kind of you know crazy and running around and doing stuff, and he's exasperated, but he's like sucked into the antics, like you and me. <laughs> and in 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 the other two, something's missing. It's not the same relationship. So. So what are your hopes for the fourth movie, which we haven't seen? I just hope there's no racism, first of all. I hope but in terms of Nancy and Ted. Oh, uh, I I hope they get back some of that kind of like easy kind of back and forth and, and that it, it's it's more relaxed and, and and they feel like like it feels less like Ted is legitimately trying to avoid her. You see them getting married eventually. What are my plans for them? <laughs> um, sure, I don't know. Yeah, I mean Nancy's like really smart and like good at life, so like Ted would be lucky to have her. Honestly, but at the same time, she can be kind of a pain in the ass. So, you know, if he if like if if he's easygoing, then that's a good match. It's interesting in the books. It's very different. That's all I'll say. In the books, they just like it's kind of like. They're always blankly like, we're the, you know, we're a great couple. But like, you can tell that there's been some shit. Because Nancy is always ditching Ned to go on mystery adventures. And he's like supportive. But, and like, you could say, okay, that's patronizing, like to tell her to stop. But in some cases, like, she's almost like died. And she's almost gotten him killed. So, like, I can understand that he's kind of trying to set a boundary there <laughs> in a way that's not even, like, misogynistic. It's just him being like, please, like, we're going to get hurt really badly one day, and I don't want to. So, it's a, it's, it, there's, some, there's some darker dynamics to their relationships that I read into the books as well. In the movies, he's literally the boy next door. Mm. And he often doesn't seem to really like her all that much. So you almost are thinking, you know, Nancy, you're a reasonably attractive, very intelligent person. Surely expand your horizons. Yeah. like in Go the- beyond just the guy next door. You can probably find somebody who actually enjoy your company. And here's the crazy thing. In the books, he's a college student, you know. She's like, the, she's like senior in high school, 18, or like about to go into college. And he's like a sophomore in college. 
So like you could say like, you know, she's dating a bit of an older guy and it's it's more of like you don't know their backstory. You don't know if they met in high school or what exactly is going on. But yeah, in this one, Nancy's world and her options feel a lot smaller. And literally, this is a guy that every time he first sees her in the three movies, he always expresses exasperation. It's very much, you know, it's, you know, okay, I just, I just thought of something. The books are written for girls and no girl really wants to read a book where the main character who is like an aspirational character, the boyfriend doesn't want to be around them. They want, they want a Ned from the books who's going to be like, Nancy, you're swell. Want to go on a picnic? Oh, you have to ditch me for a mystery. Well, that's not going to seriously affect our relationship. And I'll come, you know, help you out in the climax when we get locked into a swimming pool that's electrified and sh- oranges are blowing up around us. Cause that's an actual thing that happens in the books to this couple. They, they've been through a lot. And then, but in the movies, the movies are marketed towards everyone. And, and I think when they're marketing towards everyone, they're like, well, we can't just have a man be supportive of a woman in her career. Pfft, no one will believe that. So we got to do this kind of dumb battle of the sexes thing where he's like, boys are smarter than girls. And she's like, no, girls are more mature. And then they're like, ah. that's that's what that's my t- hot take. That's your hot, fractured, unvarnished take on the Ye- whole affair. Yes. So where were we? I don't know. <laughs> um. Oh, you said uh, you had some comments, I believe, about the Drew domicile. Oh, yeah. You see the, the Drew's house, and it's like this big, like, you can tell from the inside, it's like this huge house with this huge staircase. And it's like, he is a lawyer, but, like, I'm pretty sure they're supposed to be, like, in, like, a reasonable-sized house. I don't know. Hollywood. They Hollywoodified it. Whatever. Um, but let's go back to the plot. So, a kidnapping occurs. Tell us about the kidnapping. Well, I was setting you up to tell about the kidnapping, but fine. And what I did was I took it and I returned the And I guess I just have you. to do everything around here. <laughs> you do. You're as unsupportive as Ted. Um, Nancy Drew's doctor friend gets kidnapped. And uh, he tells a harrowing tale about being kidnapped and being forced to set a woman's dislocated shoulder. The woman had Didn't been- Nancy actually witness his kidnapping? Yes. But then they get him back. Yes, and and he while he was kidnapped, I interrupted you. He was fixing an well, old woman's shoulder. If you could do such a good job telling the kidnapping story, I don't know why you didn't take it when I threw it to you. Don't you enjoy the back and forth, the the, oh, the repartee of this thing? So he tells a story about treating a drugged older woman, and everybody's like, "Oh, oh no, I'm sorry." Everybody's like, "Well." I guess that's unrelated to the missing woman who recently disappeared from these parts uh, on to the next day. And then Nancy's kind of like, what if that is the uh, the old lady who disappeared who uh, was going to donate a million dollars to my school? Oh, that's ridiculous. That's just girl talk. Hmm. Yeah, everyone's a real dick to Nancy in this one, even though she's ob- like obviously right. And uh, they're all like, women's intuition? Spit. You know, it's just, it's... It's ridiculous. Um, meanwhile, uh, oh. <laughs> there's a crucial detail, Miss Kane. Of course. There's a crucial detail that a good doctor imparts to them. And that is that the uh, the sinister kidnappers had a certain code that they muttered in his presence. What was that, Kevin? It was. Go ahead. <laughs> say what you need to say. Uh, when they, they, they pulled up to the house, 
there was a guard on duty. And in order to get past the guard, the driver of the vehicle muttered the phrase, blue balls. <laughs> blue balls. And that's the end of the movie. <laughs> Good night, folks. <laughs> well, no, Kevin just thought it was blue balls because he's got balls on the brain. <laughs> it was actually blue bells. Um, and yeah. So the kidnapper must have been Beatrix Potter. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't get that. No, they're just uncouth. Um, is, if, is is Bluebell a character in Beatrix Potter's rabbit stories? She she wrote a lot about flowers and like the bluebells are like glimpse of heaven or some shit like that. Isn't there also like bluebell ice cream? Blue bunny ice cream. You're not even on the microphone. You're so far away from the fucking mic that, like, this man is sitting here lounging with his leg up in a very, like, femme fatale pose. It's just embarrassing. We had a conversation about how to better use the mic, and that somehow turned into this, like, movie glamour star pose. And I'm frankly embarrassed for you. No, there is bluebell ice cream. Oh, what am I? What the fuck is Blue Bunny ice cream? Can you look that up? Okay. Well, by the way, while I'm looking things up, uh, can you? The fourth movie was Nancy Drew, and the Hidden Staircase. Oh, that's dumb. Oh, I'm so disappointed. They should have kept going with the ellipses pattern. At least do Nancy Drew dot 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 and the Hidden Staircase. That's a wild one in the books. I loved that one. There's as a kid. also a Blue Bunny uh, ice cream place. Okay, so I was. Everybody was right. Everybody was right. We all win. Even the people, even you, who said blue balls, we were all right. Um. So now we. So, anyways, so we have one clue at this point in this disappearance of this lady, um, and unfortunately, things are going to ramp up a little bit more because two ne'er do wells have witnessed. Nancy and her father visiting the doctor. And they follow them when they leave. And so then Nancy wittily remarks to her father, oh, look, we're being followed. And Carson freaks the fuck out. (laughs) He says, try and lose him, Nancy. Can you do it? Can you? And she just laughs in his face. (laughs) Like, Jesus, dad, can't you take a joke? She was just trolling him. And then they go to the police station where we meet Captain Tweedy. Captain Tweedy. It's a copyright infringement waiting to happen. So he's a pompous old uh, copper. And he... uh, Who also apparently in his spare time broadcasts on the radio. Ham radio aficionado and a police chief. River Heights is a happening place. Yeah, uh... Now, one thing about Nancy in the books, because <laughs> I know you all wanted to hear that, is that uh, she um, has a lot of respect for authority, for the most part. If authority crosses her, that authority usually tends to be corrupt. But if authority is there, and it, usually people are going to respect her, you know, and she respects them. Her, uh, her, <laughs> the police chief of River Heights in the books is literally named Chief Colleague. <laughs> And in many ways, he is Nancy's colleague, or maybe you can say he's her direct report because she's often calling the shots around the River Heights parts. Um, 
But where I was going with this is that um, <laughs> I'm I'm used to the 1950s rewrite. In the 1930s originals, Nancy was pro- apparently much more sassy with policemen, much less sympathetic to the cops. She's much more in the vein of like the cops are dumb. I'm the only one who knows the right, you know what's right. So. This I think is reflect her 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 relationship with the police in this one more of refre- reflects the original intent of the books. So tell us about Nancy and Tweety. <sighs> um. Well, basically, Tweety suggests something kind of stupid because Nancy reveals that uh, I guess uh, she got the last two numbers on the license plate that kidnapped the doctor of of, of the car that abducted the doctor. And he's like, "Don't worry, little lady. I can just run those in the system. We'll have them. We'll have them by you know lunch tomorrow." And Nancy very sassily points out that there are millions of cars in the state, uh, so there must be at least twenty thousand cars that have those last two numbers. And then she says, "Well, we we don't even know if that car was from this state. Maybe it's from another state. It could be." any of a countless almost infinite number of cars so therefore sir it's much more impressive that you say you can identify it with such alacrity and so she makes captain tweety feel quite the fool she guts him with her sarcasm here it was pretty great she says she even says on her way out it was really great to meet a real detective it's like just brutal bodying this man and then she and her father leave and they are once again followed by the ne'er-do-wells and she says to her father, remember that time uh, a little bit earlier in the picture when I joked about uh, us being followed by uh, ne'er-do-wells? Guess what? Now it's happening for reals. This ain't no joke, Dad. <laughs> and then we have this exciting, uh, very slow car chase around uh, some of the uh, landmarks of River Heights. French connection. French connection. This ain't bullet. <laughs> uh, I mean, like a Nancy Drew book or a Nancy Drew story, maybe like that. You Are know. they known for the car chases? No, there's often like some car issue, like someone puts a tree in the road. I mean, like there's car chases, but like that's not. It's not why you're in it. But she does do a very Nancy Drew like thing, in which she does a quick whirl around and then starts following the people who were following her <laughs> and her dad's like what the fuck are you doing let's Chris- just go home <laughs> she yells out crisscross motherfuckers <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's great <laughs> that is a very nancy drew move what would you do that if we were being followed i feel like cool. you would i would yeah you would do that do the old double cross <laughs> <laughs> they'd see your snazzy kia coming at them <laughs> they would know what to do They'd be flummoxed. <laughs> oh, geez. Um, so anyways, uh, the the uh, car chase ultimately fizzles out at some point. I kind of stopped paying attention around these parts. <laughs> but your dad says, just let Captain Tweedy handle this. And she says, Dad, what about my pride? That's a pretty great line. <laughs> I like how this Nancy's really allowed to have an ego because you can tell in the books that this character has a huge ego. But in this one, she wears it on her sleeve, basically. Or she wears it on her big hat. Um, she does not want to give up the case to the conceited Tweet Tweet, as she calls him. Tweet Tweet. He's a cop in a cage. <laughs> <laughs> he 
he's no Telly Savellas. <laughs> but he 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 does seem like a guy who would be on Twitter a lot, so it was an apt name. Now it's about time for Ted Nickerson to come blundering into the oh, picture. This guy. He said his lamest in this picture, you know? Yeah. I thought. Anyway. How does he make his entrance? So this dipshit comes bumbling through the hedge <laughs> like the May Queen <laughs> and and basically tumbles into Nancy's flower bed and she's understandably upset. Oh, with a with a group of rowdy boys, basically. They're playing football. Yeah. In a flower bed. And so she's understandably upset and they're all like, Oh, those flowers are just for girls and it's like, yeah, and but they're grow back anyway. You're still destroying my property, you assholes. So, um, you know, that it's it's just dumb. I liked Nancy running the local boys off with a rake. That seemed appropriate. That seemed like something that I would do. Yeah, I could see you doing that. I could that. see me doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I could see running me running you off with a rake. <laughs> Um, so she's pissed at Ted. Ted calls her dumb, uh, off to a really great start. Yes, the repartee. It's like you're at the Algonquin round table. Yeah. It's Tracy and Hepburn basically. And, uh, Loy and Powell. Yeah. There you go. But, uh, basically then Petruchio and Kate. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Kevin. So. Some nerdy kid comes up to them. I say nerdy because he has glasses, so I'm being kind of a jerk. You're being you're being terrible. I'm being terrible. I'm so sorry. It's a fine young man named Spike. <laughs> it's Spike from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He's making a strange cameo in this, and he has a hurt pigeon. Now this is going to become pretty important. So hope you like pigeons. <laughs> you like pigeons, right, Kevin? I, I uh, I'm interested in the uh, the passenger pigeons, passenger pigeons, and 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 uh, correct but me. They're if all I, gone. Yeah, I know, but that didn't stop you from making that. That was, I believe, your actual profile picture when I met you. Yes, on Facebook, my profile picture was a stuffed passenger pigeon, so, which yeah. so tantalized you. You said, "Hey, I gotta get to know this fella." Yeah. So it it worked. I just want to stay for the record that when I met him. Kevin, or at least either it was your current Facebook profile picture was a stuffed pigeon or it was the one right after the one you currently had at that time. And it tantalized you. It it did Take something. note, boys. <laughs> That's how you get the women. That's how your love will take wing. <laughs> um, so they, they, they realize that this is a carrier pigeon and it has a little tag. They want to figure out whose it might be because the boy, for some reason, raises pigeons and it's not one of his. So whose is it? And the message that the pigeon is carrying refers to someone with an injured shoulder and it's signed Bluebell. (gasps) Those ice cream devils. What are they up to? This is hot pigeon action. And Nancy's like, we got to try to figure out who this pigeon belongs to. And of course, Ted, like all young men, knows all about the pigeon clubs. And he says, the pigeon clubs have records of who owns every pigeon in the goddamned country. Mm-hmm. So they write the pigeon club. Pigeon club doesn't have that information. This Ted, is an- Ted's wasted everyone's time. <laughs> or this is just an illicit pigeon. Ooh. This pigeon's off the books. This pigeon is hot. Yeah. 
So they're going to they're going to find this uh, crooked pigeon operator and give him the what for. Cuz uh, what are the are there actual rules about pigeons to I mean Who do you think I am? Ted Nickerson? Well, you're a guy who had the fucking Facebook profile picture was a pigeon. So a excuse- passenger pigeon. Oh, they don't go around God. carrying messages. I just I just want You sound like a like a racist when it comes to pigeons. Oh my All God. pigeons look alike to you? Jesus. Is that what you're saying to me? You're saying birds of a feather, Kevin. Jesus Christ, I don't even know you anymore. <sighs> this movie is tearing us apart. I know, really. Nancy Drew Detective. At this point, it turns out that the doctor, who had earlier been kidnapped, has been beaten by thugs. He's fine. Just just get a little bit beaten. But this <laughs> rates this rates a huge 30-point screaming headline in the local paper there's an old woman who's been missing for days and she's really rich she's really i hate to sound cynical but that that factors for something that factors for something in the media apparently not uh you know it it raises a lot of questions this doctor gets like a black eye has to go lie down huge story me i i don't know wasn't the woman supposedly from out of town yeah that must be it that must be it River Heights people want to know about River Heights people. They don't want to know about those. What was the town that was identical to River Heights in the books? <laughs> it was our town. I don't remember. They also had the name gonna, River in it. Oh, like Riverton Heights. <laughs> they don't want to know about those Riverton Heights bastards. Curse them. Yeah. So they, they you know, no one cares about this lady. Yes, yeah, spit. And and no one cares about this lady. And it's it's tragic to the point where, like, a local mugging is big news but then again it's river heights not just big news huge news listen, i can't exaggerate listen. the size of this newspaper it was headline. a slow news day maybe the doctor was friends with the local editor you don't know you don't know the inter inner politics that go into these things i'm sure that the members of the river heights media take their responsibilities seriously and would not slant news coverage just to give more attention to their friends. You besmirch the media, ma'am. Oh no. <laughs> oh yeah. But I love I love those fake newspapers. You ever like pause the movie and try to read what the article is? Yeah, I'm always disappointed because it's almost never funny. <laughs> yeah. Or like- I, I was disappointed that this screaming headline wasn't spinning. Oh, I know. We gotta spit him. That's how you know it's real urgent. That's right. It's almost like a newspaper boy like chucked it at you and it's spitting <laughs> towards your face before it hits you in the mug. Um, but anyways, so also one thing that we learn, and this is gonna be important. I, I call this out because it is going to be important later. So listen up. Ted is a proto podcaster, aka he fiddles with his ham radio. So. So why do they call it a ham radio? I never knew. I was, I always, I always imagined like a radio shaped like a ham. <laughs> I, I have no idea. I'm the wrong person to ask, unfortunately. I got no idea either. I've never been interested in that kind of stuff, mechanical stuff. It's like what you can just talk on a radio, like what? Just pick up a phone. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> what word is that? Yeah. Ugh. And anyways, um, even in 1938, they had phones. They did have phones. They had cool phones that you like, you know, the the rotary dial. And it's not like when we first meet, when we first learned of Ted's hobby, he is on this ham radio talking with someone else on a ham radio. And it's not like they're talking about anything interesting. They're just having this very banal conversation. 
it's really as dull as dust. I mean, one other thing that's dull as dust, in my opinion, is is misogyny. And unfortunately, let's not even talk about it. What? If you're if you're bored with misogyny, well, I just you watch the wrong movie. How about you shut the hell up? And let me talk, you <laughs> overbearing asshole. Now, that's the kind of uh, spunk I would have liked to see Nancy display in some of these scenes. But basically, like, Ted's just being a sexist asshole. And she's all like, women are more mature, da 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 And it's like this stupid battle of the sexist crap that I really did not like. But the movie is peppered with this stuff, unfortunately. And at one point, Ted is so frustrated with Nancy, he pretends to put a noose around his neck and pretends to commit suicide. Which is something you've seen a lot of because I do that a lot in our conversations. Yes. Everybody likes a good suicide joke. But never gets old. Never gets old. Anya, people have died. I know, but it's funny. So now now, now antics really ensue because Nancy and Ted have helped nurse this pigeon back to health. And Nancy is sort of covertly trying to set it free so that it will lead her to her dad doesn't want her to do that. Oh, yeah. So Her she's... dad wants her to take it to a Captain Tweedy. Let the estimable, <laughs> let the impressive Captain Tweedy <laughs> handle this pigeon business. Are you okay, Kevin? <laughs> I mean, he, he does sound part bird or something, Captain Tweedy. <laughs> Crack the pigeon case. It kind of, kind of fits. It feels like the local River Heights reporter boys would really enjoy uh, working out a headline. Around that scoop. And so Nancy tells her dad, she says, don't worry. I give you my solemn word of honor. I will return this bird to Captain Tweedy. Uh, She has Ted build a little cage for it out of wood. And then she arranges for this cage with the bird in it to fall off the back of a moving vehicle. Oh, yeah. That was really animal abuse. Jeez. This, This bird already had an injured wing. Yeah. That wasn't cool. That was not cool of Nancy. And then she accidentally lets the bird loose and accidentally shoes it away. And then she and Ted follow it to where it flies. And where does it fly, Kevin? It flies to a home out in the country. And so Nancy says, okay, Ted, you get out. You stay here. You guard the house. If anyone tries to leave this house, you stop them. And then she goes she makes a beeline back into the city. She fetches Captain Tweedy and a squad of his best men. And they go out and return to this country house. And it turns out the person living at the country house is the business manager of the missing woman. And they say, well, wait a minute. You're the business manager of this missing woman? And you're not the missing woman, right? Well, then we're just wasting our time. <laughs> say some pretty shitty things to nancy on the way out too what do they say to nancy they call her psychotic (laughs) the policeman calls the the police chief calls her psychotic uh says that she should go back to playing with her dolls and she's very upset by this so i can understand the animosity that she still holds for captain tweedy later in this series which does come up periodically he was kind of a jerk about this one have you ever had a Captain Tweedy in your life who has motivated you to do great things? Oh, yeah, certainly. I mean, 
Like there's yeah, I mean well maybe great great things is probably an exaggeration. <laughs> I think there's been, you know, guys who've pissed me off and I've been like, I'm just going to go for it anyway. But, I mean, I've never, I never solved a missing heiress case, so who am I to, who am I to say? How about you? You've had some Captain Tweeties chirping in your ear. I think we all have our Captain Tweeties in life. (laughs) Just got to throw some birdseed at him and get him out of there. That's right. Um, and yeah, basically, you know, nobody gives, say, oh, you, uh, you chase your own pigeons, chase, Good life. chase my own pigeons. Don't let Captain Tweety do it for you. No. Show some initiative. I'm what? sorry I interrupted. What, what are you? <laughs> I'm sorry. What are you doing, man? What are you doing? <laughs> this movie. <laughs> um, I just want to note that also I can understand Nancy's disgust at Captain Tweety's police policing uh, investigative skills here because they're pretty much non-existent. They show up, some suspicious guy is kind of like, oh, get out of here. And they're like, okay, sorry, sir. Jeez, these girls, they're just out of control. Very good old boys. Soon as the squad of police leave, the business manager goes into the pigeon coop that's on his property and he writes a note where he basically says, hey, everybody, I'm a guilty man. And then he rolls it up and he puts it in a pigeon and has it sends it off. So he now puts we, it in a pigeon. I don't know how it works. <laughs> I'm no expert. It's a gruesome twist, Kevin. Uh, and so now we, at least the viewers, know that Nancy was right all along. And and that's a pretty consistent theme in Nancy Drew stories. Nancy's always right. Nancy's like Sherlock. Like you're not going to get one over on Nancy if she thinks you're bad news. You're probably one of the main bad guys in in this. The very rarely is Nancy wrong about somebody, and is like, "Oh, geez, you know, you seem mean, but actually, you're okay." Like usually, those people are the bad guys. Pretty simplistic. So at this point, she goes and she visits the doctor who had the mild beating that was screamed about in the newspaper. You really seem like jealous of this guy weirdly. Like did you get beaten once and like nobody Nobody ran? cared. <laughs> just people left you in the dirt. That's right. <laughs> they just kicked me aside like old news. <laughs> this guy, he gets like a black eye and it's the talk of the town. He had those media connections. But it's strange that he was kidnapped and beaten, got all this attention in the paper, and apparently Nobody bothered to go to him and say, hey, remember when you were kidnapped? Where did they take you? <laughs> so so Nancy goes and she <laughs> asks him that question. And he says, oh, thank goodness you asked. Here's where they took me. And she says, ah. Basically the scene. That's pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's piecing it together. And that's another and that's another uh, black eye for Tweety. Frankly, no pun intended because the doctor had some black eyes. But, you know, he's not even doing his basic job here where there is a crime where they have the victim who's still alive and has been targeted for not one but two crimes. He was abducted and then he was beaten. You know, this guy's going to this guy's going to be killed by the end of this film. Things are not looking up for this doctor. At this point, uh, Nancy goes back to her house with Ted. And in a kind of a bizarre sequence, 
that doesn't really seem to be really integral. <laughs> they see a man trying to break into the Drew domicile, this luxurious mansion, and they freak the hell out. And Nancy says, do something, Ted. And she says, what can I do? And he says, well, remember when you were tackling the, doing your football stuff earlier and messing up my flowers? I want you to go tackle this guy and I'll hit him with a wrench. And Ted says, oh yeah, that makes sense. What could go wrong? And he goes and he tackles this person. And before Nancy can hit him with a wrench, we learn who it is. And who is it, Miss Kane? It's her dad. Womp, womp, womp. Oh, we have too much fun with that effect. But anyways, yeah, it's stupid. And then he's really pissed off. He has no sense of humor about this at all. Let me ask you an honest question. Let's see, say, you're trying to get into our apartment. You don't have your key. And suddenly... I tackle you and I hit you with a wrench. You d- they did not hit him with a wrench, Kevin. They what if I tackle him. you and I'm about to hit you with a wrench? Did you seriously hurt me? Like, am I wincing in pain or am I just kind of like fell you, on my butt? Would you, uh, you fall on your butt. Would you take that with gentle, good humor? I think I would be scared for a second <laughs> and then I would laugh about it. Kevin, a few weeks ago, a bird crapped on my head in, the, in front of like a bunch of people and I laughed about it. I'm pretty easygoing. <laughs> people are constantly punching me in the face and throwing me down flights of stairs and I'm taking it all with gentle never, good humor. Never makes the news. Never makes the news. <laughs> the media is hiding stuff from you. Right. Don't trust the MSM. But um, yeah, so he he's really pissed off. And then they disturbingly uh, find that the front door has been barricaded shut with a ton of furniture. And so your kind of immediate instinct is, okay, well, who's in the house? Okay, Effie the maid. She's murdered. She's been murdered somewhere. And somebody's piled all this furniture up in front of the door because that's part of their ritual, basically. That was my instinct. So your mind went to a slightly dark place. Yeah. As it is wont to do. I thought Effie's dead. They got her. No, I mean, obviously, it's a Nancy Drew movie, but obviously you're supposed to worry about Effie here. So what what did happen? Well, Effie tells them that she did this because there was a man trying to break in. And, of course, Carson's like, you idiot, that was me. And then Effie's like, no, there was another man. That impression of Carson was eerie. (laughs) (laughs) You're like Rich Little or Fred Travelina. I don't I don't know who those men are, Kevin. <laughs> I'm not a thousand years old. You could literally make up names of people for things and I would be like, Oh yeah, thanks. <laughs> That's like Tommy Bluebells and the <laughs> and the Larkspur gang. Oh, thanks, Kevin. <laughs> they were noted impressionists. Oh, well thank you. But yeah, just I'm just that talented. <laughs> But all the Captain Tweeties in my life. Well, they've inspired you to, to pursue your art. <laughs> That's Carson Drew, folks. <laughs> I don't even need to be here because you probably use such an eerily accurate impression of me. You could do a whole podcast with the two of us, just yourself. My impression of you would just be you <laughs> drifting farther and farther away from the mic as you roll <laughs> around on your chair. 
and lounge in strange and mysterious ways. <laughs> that would be my impression of you. Or maybe like clattering in the background where you're like tripping over something. Like I say, eerily accurate. Eerily accurate. Uh, so Effie is really freaked out. Everybody's freaked out. But then things get a little freakier. What happens? A man with a gun comes in. Uh-oh. Did he just shoot them all dead and in the picture? Yes. <laughs> Putting us all out of our misery. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, he comes in without a mask on so they can identify this man at any time. And then basically kind of like, it's like the most polite shakedown in the world because he's like, okay, it's now your formal warning. Stop looking into the thing with the old lady, you know, or I'll be forced to use this eventually. It's very non-threatening. Like, if I if somebody came in and did that, I'd be more annoyed, frankly. And I'd, like, want to kick their asses. Like, I'd want to go and, like, fuck up their racket, basically. Because it's like, who the hell are you? You think you coming here with a gun trying to scare me in front of my kid and this random guy next door does football on the flowers and my idiot maid? Either shit or get off the pot. Either kill me. Yeah. Fucking kill me. Do it, you son of a bitch. You think I don't want to die? Having this for a daughter running around doing all this stupid shit with pigeons when I told her not to. Carson goes hard in this scene. <laughs> Sorry. Um, where were we? But yeah, so he this, this guy just kind of fucks off at some point. So he leaves and then, you know, uh Carson says, you know, I think there's a chance he still might be out there watching the place. So, uh, Ted, why don't you go home? Don't go to the cops. Go, go outside where this guy's watching in the dark. Hope nothing happens to you, son. He And it's like, wouldn't that make you suspicious of Carson if you were there in real life? Like, oh, no, don't worry about it, Ted. Don't go to the cops. I'm sure uh, they can't help. It's like, uh, are you in on this? Like... What kind of lawyer would say don't go to the cops in a situation like yeah, this, Kevin? A pretty shady one. Mm -hmm. So at that point, Carson says, well, Nancy, uh, this old woman, uh, she's actually, we found out where she is. She's in St. Louis. And so why don't you and I go to St. Louis together? And Nancy says, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. And then earlier in the picture, we, we've learned that Ted and his family are about to go to Sylvan Lake. And so Nancy says, uh, the Nickersons have invited me to go to Sylvan Lake. Why don't I do that instead? Would and, of you, and of course, the Nickersons have made no such invitation. No, it's awkward. So Ted has been bullied into making his parents invite Nancy to, on this trip, which he does. What must the Nickersons think? They, they probably are like, I feel like they like Nancy. Why do you know. say that? I mean, like. We don't really know everybody's socioeconomic background, but like, you know, like, you know, they're clearly loaded, right? So they're probably like Ned or Ted, you know, marry up, basically. I could see them. Why don't you get some of that hot Drew action? Yeah. I could see them being kind of like, or like maybe like they're like one of those old fashioned parents. Like once Ted gets a girlfriend, that's when he's a real man. So like, you know, encouraging of that rather than like, you know, romping around with the local like 12 year olds doing football games and playing with pigeons and radios. Maybe they welcome that sign of maturity. So you make it sound like you think they were worried about Ted. I mean, wouldn't you be? <laughs> I'm worried about him. 
Every time he's in a stressful situation, he starts babbling gobbledygook language that doesn't make any sense. Doesn't that worry you? I think either he or the creators of the movie think that's funny. Is it? Maybe right after the Great Depression, people were just like... They'd laugh at anything. Yeah. Everything seems great. So, I get it. Would you rather go to Sylvan Lake or St. Louis? St. Louis. What about you? Yeah, probably. Just to recreate the... Ding, 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 went the trolley. (laughs) Exactly. Meet me in St. Louis. Yeah, I remember watching that movie as a kid and being like, what the hell is this about? But then the trolley song came out and I was like, oh boy, I know this one. (laughs) You like me, you love that song. Yeah. Clang, 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 babe. Hell yeah. I just like how she's telling everybody on the trolley about how the trolley sounds. Like, wouldn't you be like, oh, I'm going to get off this trolley and go on the next one? Because yeah, we know what it sounds like. We're on We're one. We're on the goddamn trolley. Can you give someone who came up to you on the train and was like, choo, choo, choo. And like, get away from me, please. Oh, man. Public transportation, baby. So there's a whole lengthy scene for some reason of Nancy and Ted eating breakfast and Ted complaining to his mom about how there's not enough bacon and asking if the recession's back on, and it's oh, what the hell is going on? Um, they 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 recite some weird fucking phrase in unison at one point, like how quaint, how stark, how gruesome. Maybe that was some big reference back in the day. I don't know. It seemed like I some have you ever worried that like something weird happens in a movie, and then you're like, oh no, I'm not actually watching a movie. I'm like hallucinating, or like uh, like it's like a cursed movie, and now things are gonna get scary. Yes. Yeah, so that's that was my moment there. <laughs> I just heard hear the words "how quaint, how stark, how gruesome" recited in unison in my head over and over until I start screaming. <laughs> and then Carson drafts a telegraph to Nancy, or she receives one from him, basically telling her to fuck off and mind her own business. Right. Mm-hmm. So weird. So I assumed he was kidnapped here because. That would usually, you know, if, if your dad's kind of like, buzz off, kiddo, you know, if like, why would he send that? But it turns out he wasn't. <laughs> this is just how he speaks to his daughter. This is the character that you so love. This, this is the character whose uh, love of his daughter I celebrate. Yeah. This is the, <laughs> you you recognize the intelligence and love sparkling from his eyes, Kevin. Yes, That's what I you find ex- it so charming and delightful. You extolled this earlier. <laughs> So anyway, Nancy and Ned <laughs> Nancy and Ned put their heads together, put some clues. Nancy and who? Oh, Ted, whatever. He's always Ned to me. <laughs> Sounds like the name of a really bad country song. <laughs> oh man, the quick and the Ned. <laughs> so I guess that could also work for Ted. Um but yeah, they they put the clues together and they I mean, honestly, I'm not going to lie. I kind of stopped paying attention at some point. And then suddenly they're putting together an aerial map. They're in an airplane and they're putting together an aerial map. So, folks, I'm so sorry, but I don't know how we got to that point. But it was very quick after the breakfast scene, it felt like. I don't think I zoned out for that long. What do you think? Jesus. What? It's not like we were watching the the ring cycle. This was an hour-long picture. I, I have, like, some attention deficit issues. 
in this breakfast scene, they talked about how they had been driving all over the countryside looking for a specific house. Because the house that would fit all the descriptions of all this shit. I, it doesn't really matter. I can tell you if you want, but it doesn't really yeah, matter. Yeah, go ahead. Tell me. So they find, they find, they, they want to go around. There's an a chilling edge to your voice. And he said, yeah, go ahead. Tell me. Do it, you motherfucker. <laughs> I dare you, you coward. <laughs> Jesus Christ. What have I gotten myself into? Well, I mean, basically, so wait, like they do the aerial map to. So they, they drive, they drive all around. They can't find it. And they say, well, why don't we get a plane? Well, gosh, how much does it cost to rent a plane? How much do you think it costs in 1938 to rent a plane? $100. $10. <laughs> and that's just too much for them. Nancy has $8. Uh, she manipulates Ted into giving her the remaining two. They rent this plane. They go up. They spot uh, the house. Ted says, well, how can we find this house from the ground? Nancy says, I know. She takes a whole bunch of pictures. They develop the pictures and they're piecing them together, which is where you uh, picked up. There you go. And so they basically this this all goes together. They find a house on Larkspur Lane, which is fun because that's one of the Nancy Drew books. So I said they Don Rosa this whole thing. What does that mean? That means uh, Don Rosa was a, a cartoonist who uh, did Scrooge McDuck comics for Disney and he was famous for sort of stitching together all the various pieces of Scrooge's backstory that had been established by other stories. And he did it in a way that kind of made them all canon. Uh, so very talented, fun, fun artist whose work I really enjoyed reading. Um, but anyways, this is fun because the blue, I didn't know this, but I, I, it may also not be true. So I'm just going to say it and the flower people are going to get mad, but Apparently, larkspurs are bluebells, or like bluebells are larkspurs, or some, 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 there's, there's some connection there. Um, so that was pretty fun. Love that Don Rosa action. And it's a spooky old house, so you know I love that. So, Nancy's big concern when they're surveying the house is that they would come in, they would go in. And say that so they'd kidnapped this older lady and that they would then get sued for libel and slander. <laughs> and also potentially breaking and entering. Well, that would be the more likely charge. Yeah. If I burst into somebody's house uninvited saying, you guys kidnapped Mrs. Blueberry, then they're not going to be like, oh, that's a libel charge. They're going to be like, that's a other charges. So, uh, and also the fence is electrified. It's like Jurassic Park up in here. <laughs> Keeping so all the dinosaurs in. Why is there a bunch of old people? Oh man, it's really late. <laughs> uh, Ted stops Nancy from getting electrocuted. So she looks at him dreamily and says, Ted, you saved my life. And the music swells up. What do you make of it? Uh, if these characters were a little bit older, it, that felt like obviously it could have been a romantic moment. But these characters can are kids who can barely tolerate each other. There you go. Love's complicated. So, um, in order to get access to this uh, underground nursing home, basically, <laughs> you know they gotta. You know what they gotta do. This is a 1938 movie. How are they going to get in? They can't go over the fence. They can't 
dig under the thing like it's the great escape. I think Ted needs to humiliate himself in some way. And what's more humiliating in the minds of these 1930s viewers than dressing like a woman? They got to do drag. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with dressing in drag. Do whatever you want. But for some reason, 1930s audience found this very hilarious and very funny. And and they just they do it in all of these fucking movies. I think there's been one movie in this series so far that has not had a drag scene. So it's it's two out of three so far. <laughs> two out of three, like the meatloaf song. And they so uh, Ted dresses up like a nurse and Nancy's pretending to be the uh, nurse's charge. And uh they go into uh the the nursing home. And I, I actually found this scene pretty exciting. Oh, in the movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, stop acting like you don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> oh, I'm just so flummoxed by my dick. <laughs> I'm sorry. So anyways, um, Nancy finds Mrs. Elridge, whatever her name is, it doesn't matter, <laughs> who screams, and then there's this scary nurse ratchet, nurse ratchet type who comes in and is looking around, threatening the old lady, but Nancy hides under the bed. And meanwhile, Ted, the nurse, gets... A guy sees him and starts flirting with him. That that's happened to you before, hasn't it? Um, and and so as as Ned's uh, Ted is rather you know being harassed by this man, but then the man notices that one of Ted's uh, pant legs is down. So he, this nurse is wearing pants under her dress. Something is afoot. So the the guy gives chase to Ted, but then ends up like falling over somehow and knocking himself out. So. <laughs> uh, so the, uh, the 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 alarm has been raised though. Uh, Nancy and Mrs. Elridge get out. Uh, Ted is driving the car. Mrs. Elridge is now in the disguise and is in the front seat, and Nancy's in the trunk. Um, but of course, this is this is a chase scene, and it's also the 1930s. So the car stalls out. In order to fix it, they need to use a big hand crank to crank the engine. So that's kind of fun. And then uh, everyone is forced in the car at gunpoint. It doesn't work. They don't get away. So they're captured. And when the bad guys points to uh, Ted and says, that kid is a friend of that Drew outfit. Mm, the Drew outfit. They're like a, they're like a local mafia, basically. Uh, the old lady is very worried about what's going to happen to Ted and Nancy. And uh, then she's forced back into her room. And and one of the bad guys posits, what are you going to do, adopt them? <laughs> <laughs> um, but what ends up happening is that the bad guys are too chicken shit to just shoot these two teens in the head. And uh, throw th- th- they just throw them into the cellar to figure out what they're going to do with them later. Um Eventually, they get the business manager to come back. He's he's uneasy about the kidnapping the kids because he thinks it's all going to be tied back to him. But this is the 1930s, and kidnapping was li- quite literally a business back then. So the bad guys decide that they're going to uh, kind of cut their ties with the whole fake nursing home racket, and they're just going to kidnap these kids and demand a ransom from their families. So they're gonna they're gonna go on the run with these two hostages, basically. And then what happens? No, you you do it. I've been talking for a while, so you 
you say something. Uh, Ted uses his ham radio know-how to send a radio station, a radio signal over the air, which uh, is seen. So Ted uses his ham radio know-how to broadcast a signal over the air, which is a coded message indicating that he and Nancy are in trouble. And we see that this message is received by a wide variety of people with hats <laughs> and also is received by uh, Captain Tweedy, who is in a radio station doing one of his broadcasts. And for some reason, doesn't Carson Drew come into the studio with him? Yeah, <laughs> he's hang- they're all hanging out. He hangs out with him behind Nancy's back. So what happens next? Well, after uh, Ted's big ham routine, uh, the bad guys are uh, forcing the kids out into their car. (laughs) And then something quite surprising happens that I don't think ever happened in one of the Nancy Drew stories that I've seen before. But it was kind of a fun welcome twist. Um, in, In the struggle to get the kids in the car, a firearm is dropped, a gun. Nancy picks it up starts screaming, and then starts shooting. With her eyes closed. With her eyes closed. With her boyfriend there, or whatever, friend, Ted, ally, whatever. She uh, blows a guy's hat off. (laughs) The bad guys just run crazily. I mean, if Nancy Drew has a gun, I think that's probably the best thing to do, right? Yeah. Have you ever shot a gun, Kevin? No. Have you? Oh, yeah. Tell us about it. It's a bit like this. No, it was at a firing range. I was not very good with it. I was good with a fouling rifle, but everything else kind of a shit show. And I, I shot an M16 once, and it was it was a, it was a horrible experience. It was very scary. Was that at a firing range? That was at uh, a a military fort. Was was it, was it? What made it a horrible experience? It's a very powerful gun, and it just was so loud. And I'd never shot a gun before, so I was kind of freaked out. I, I don't know what about me screamed, let's give this girl a gun to the drill sergeant, but that's what happened. <laughs> I feel like it would, it, yeah, she, Nancy's not a very responsible gun shooter here. She could have killed a lot of people. And basically she only stops. She's just screaming and shooting like, ah, until uh, the police come and her dad kind of grabs the gun for her. It's like, Nancy, for the love of God, stop. They're already <laughs> dead. They're all dead, sweetie. <laughs> It's okay. And um, at the end, we end on, on kind of an unfortunate note because it, it kind of seems like our young hero may have PTSD. Yeah, she uh, and, and Ted are in the backseat of a car being driven by Carson Drew. And Nancy keeps on waking up and pretending to point a gun and declaring, stay where you are. And then uh, the credits roll. There you go. <laughs> Nancy Drew has PTSD and is now a gun nut. That's Nancy Drew detective for you. Despite its uneven tone, I would say that it's no mystery why this detective series endured for a few movies, because there's a lot of charm here. Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. 
You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore two underscore me underscore. And at mystery to me podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com. We're not teens setting up Hotmail accounts in the early 2000s, so all of those spell out two as T-O. Thanks Thanks so so much much for listening. listening.